1-800-UTC. and welcome to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. I'm John Tanza in Washington on this live broadcast from Studio 14. Here are some of the top stories making news across South Sudan this Thursday, February 16, 2023. South Sudan's first Vice President, Riyak Machar, calls on South Sudanese women to get organized. If you have a woman union, it will always be knocking at the door of the vice president, of the minister, the governor. Woman union is non-political. And the mother of a boy who handed 100 South Sudanese pounds to Pope Francis in Juba says she struggles to make ends meet. The father of these kids is not a nice person. I go washing people's clothes so that my kids can attend school. When they are sick, I am the one to take them to the clinic and pay their medical bills. We'll have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. A member of the National Constitutional Amendment Committee says the process of drafting a permanent constitution for South Sudan is behind schedule and the delay could affect the conduct of the proposed 2024 elections. For VOA News, Dengai Deng has more from Juba. Last month, the office of President Salva Kiir said the president signed at least 10 bills into law after the parliament passed legislation despite boycotts and other stalemates. The approved bills in 2022 include the amended South Sudan People's Liberation Army Act, the Political Parties Act, the Appropriation Act, and the Constitution Making Process Act. MP Richard K. Muller, a member of the National Constitutional Amendment Committee, says deadlines have come and gone for the implementation of key provisions, including the formation of a permanent constitution drafting committee. We have uh, passed the bill on the constitutional making process, and I understand the president has also signed it into law. So there is now the constitutional making process act uh, 2022 uh, available for implementation. None of the mechanisms for the drafting of permanent constitution has been uh, established. None has been appointed. The National Constitutional Review Commission has not been appointed. And the appointment is supposed to have taken place last year, as you say. Last year, parties to the South Sudan peace deal agreed to extend the transitional period by two years in a roadmap that postpones elections to December 2024. Mola says the transitional period may elapse before the country has a permanent constitution in place. Delays in any of the uh, performance of the provisions of the agreement are quite worried. Delays were the ones that uh, made it possible for the roadmap to be enacted, to be implemented, I mean to be adopted so as to give more time for the consumer making process. And the 24 months, which is contained in the roadmap, is supposed to take care of this constitutional making, permanent constitutional making process. The fact that there are delays will definitely affect the, the, the completion of the permanent constitution for South Sudan and even the elections that are supposed to follow. 
Under the new roadmap, the Constitutional Drafting Committee was supposed to conduct the first civic education and collect data to establish public views on the permanent constitution making process is starting October 30th, 2022 and completed by January 30th this year. Mayen Dengalier, a lawmaker representing Jonglei State in the Assembly, says the presidency should make the appointments as soon as possible so people can debate and finally agree on a permanent constitution. There's no problem. The, the, the problem will be now if, if some provisions of um, what has been practiced, because uh, it, it, will, it will involve uh, the people of the South Sudan, okay, irrespective of their status, inspection, various provisions, okay? Uh, for example, you will question some things, uh, some people in the academia will question something, the political entities will question something, okay? Now, that discourse is what we are going to, to agree upon, okay? If we say that what has been drafted, uh, the time that will take us to discuss so will be more than uh, the time provided within the framework of the roadmap. South Sudan Minister of Justice Ruben Madularol says the 2022 Constitution Making Process Act has been fully enacted by President Kiir. I'm not very much worried about the timeline because already the parties are committed to implementing this law as soon as possible. And that's why the stakeholders, as we're speaking, are sending in the nominees to the reconstituted commission. Arol says once the reconstituted commission is in place, it will do its works and the constitution-making process will be completed in what he calls reasonable good time. That will make it easy to hold elections next year. For VOA News, I am Deng Gaiding. In Juba. South Sudan's first vice president, Riyak Machar, is urging women in the country to get organized and challenge the government for support. Machar says if South Sudanese women form a union, the government could enact laws to safeguard their interests at all levels of government. For VOA News, Juliana Shiapai reports from Juba. Speaking at the end of the International Women Conference in Juba, First Vice President Riyak Machar, who is in charge of the government governance cluster, said the government is willing to work with non-political groups like women and youth union to address crucial issues as it implements the revitalized peace agreement. If you have a woman union, it will always be knocking at the door of the vice president, of the minister, the governor, the state because women union is non-political. It even makes a lot of programs and sells it to the ministry and to the office of the vice president and to the government. Machar says there is nothing that marginalizes women more than conflict. He advised South Sudanese women to use the current window of peace in the country to acquire an education. We have good reasons to say let's educate our Girls are women. They say when you educate a woman, you educate a nation. I think you should focus on this because it will get you the empowerment in all aspects, whether it is in government or in public affairs or in the private sector or in the civil society organizations. If you did that, 
then the marginalization will not be there. Your freedom will be there. Machar says women group in South Sudan have enough time to position themselves strategically before election and work together addressing the critical issues facing women across the country. We still have to enact a legislation for Women Enterprise Development Fund. We had asked the minister to initiate the process. But if you don't have a women union, you'll have difficulties influencing that, that legislation. So we, we need to do something about that. The same with the youth, the youth enterprise fund. These will support activities of women and youth. The first vice president says the time has come for South Sudanese to showcase the benefit of silencing the guns across the country, which he says will create stability and attract international support and recognition. The purple visit gave us a momentum, and this international conference will also give us a momentum. When the delegates move from here, those who have come from the state, they will talk about this conference, like they were looking for Maputo conference resolutions. People will look for the Juba woman resolutions. So this is good. Brother Atanasio, chairperson of the South Sudan Women with Disability Network, living with visual impairment, says... Women groups need to cooperate with each other and get organized. I really learn uh, many things uh, about the leadership and then about uh, we as a women, we, we, we have to empower each other and stand with each other and help ourselves because we want to lead this country uh, go up. Just think then Simon. Miss Deaf Africa 2021 to 2023 says she learned at the conference that as a leader, you need to bring development to the people and be a voice for the voiceless. What I've learned shows me that that is the evidence of peace or dividend of peace. Because when you talk about peace, it, it means that we need to come together and share our common ground share our experiences, look into the challenges, see how we can resolve these challenges. So I thank uh, the Vice President Mama Rebecca Nyandeng for bringing all the women around South Sudan and uh, in the regionally uh, to this big conference, uh, which is uh, a benefit to people or women of South Sudan. The International Women's Conference on Transformational Leadership is the first international conference organized in Juba to address the issues facing South Sudanese women who constitute 60% of the population. For VOA News, I am Juliana Shiapai in Juba. Still on women affairs, South Sudanese women activists who attended the just concluded International Women's Conference in Juba say the country's transitional period is a crucial opportunity for changing the narratives of South Sudan. For VOA News, Manyang David Mayar has details from Juba. Packed into the glittering Radisson Blue Hotel Banquet Hall in Juba for the three-day conference, more than 400 women, including regional and international delegates, discussed the challenges facing women across South Sudan. At the end of the event on Wednesday, 
the participants resolved to get involved in the political decision-making process in South Sudan and to make sure the 2018 Revitalized Peace Agreement is implemented effectively. Betty Murungi, Organizing Committee Coordinator for the International Conference, read aloud resolutions in a draft communique yesterday. The critical space that women in South Sudan uh, need to still occupy in ongoing reform processes came out very strongly in the governance discussions that the timing of this conference at this moment in the history of the Republic of South Sudan is critical as there are key ongoing national processes which require the full and effective engagement and participation of women and these processes include the permanent constitution making process, the reconstitution of institution uh, in accordance with the R. Acris, the creation of new institutions in accordance with the R. Acris, the review of key legislation uh, such as the economic and electoral laws. The 2018 peace deal required South Sudan to hold its first general elections in February 2023. But last year, the parties agreed to extend the transitional period by another two years until 2025. Murongi says other recommendations from South Sudanese women include capacity building on policy and legislative issues, gender rights awareness, increased enrollment of girls in secondary schools and universities, as well as increasing research capacity for data gathering and strategies for addressing mental health concerns. Amir Manyok, chairperson for the Women Bloc of South Sudan, who took part in the conference, says if women don't participate in the decision-making process, transforming South Sudan will be difficult at best. What we have agreed is to increase the full participation of women at affirmative action, the 35% to be implemented. Secondly, the women economic empowerment. And then participation of women during the election. Without women in the leadership, in top leadership, so that they can transform and change, it will be very difficult. In closing remarks, Rebecca Nyandeng de Mabur, South Sudan's vice president in charge of the gender and youth cluster, says unlike in the past, the resolutions of this women's conference will be implemented. What we need to do, we don't want to leave those recommendations that were shown to leave them in the paper. So, like other resolutions, which has been passed by the government and has never been implemented. This one, if I cannot remember, you remind me. You remind, you remind our minister, where are our resolutions? Because we just don't want to leave them like that. South Sudan has one of the highest illiteracy rates in the region. Barriers to women and girls receiving an education in South Sudan include unfavorable cultural attitude about enrolling women and girls in school and seeing girls as wealth for families in bright prices. Following the conference, Sarah Nyanti, Deputy Special Representative of the United Nations Secretary General and UN Humanitarian Coordinator in South Sudan, says the time is now for women to be part of planning process for South Sudan's future. It's not about a document, it's about action. And I want to encourage you and ensure you that we have our hands on the throttle to ensure that we don't stop the train here. It continues on that distance to where South Sudan is going. The recommendations are for all of us. And I want to ensure you, on behalf of the UN country team, 
on the development side, on behalf of the humanitarian country team, and on behalf of the peacekeeping mission, that we stand with the government, with the women of South Sudan, to say that we see you, we hear you, and we support you. For VOA News, I'm Anyang David Mayor in Juba. You are listening to South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America. Coming up, the mother of the boy who handed Pope Francis 100 South Sudanese pounds says she is humbled by her son's kindness. Find out more after the break. us a message on plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one tell us what's happening in your area or give us your feedback on the stories you hear on south sudan in focus we look forward to hearing from you on whatsapp that number again plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one you are listening to South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America. The mother of a South Sudanese boy who handed Pope Francis 100 South Sudanese pounds, which is equivalent to 0.14 US dollars, says she was surprised by her child's hospitality. Mary Matthew says she struggles to take care of her six children during the current soaring economic crisis in South Sudan. For VOA News, Juliana Shiapai has more from Juba. Mary Matteo says her son Echo Award Roman used the 100 South Sudanese pounds she gave him for buying biscuits to show the hospitality of South Sudanese to the Pope who made a historic visit to Juba earlier this month. The photograph of Echo handing Pope Francis the 100 South Sudanese pound currency went viral on Facebook and other social media platforms. Matthew, who survives on earning from casual jobs like washing clothes and dishes in local restaurants, says she is humbled by her son's gesture. Matthew says she leaves the house early morning to look for jobs so she can have money to buy food and pay for medical care for Echo and his five siblings. Matthew says her husband does not help pay for her family needs. The father of these kids is not a nice person. I go washing people's clothes so that my kids can attend school. When they are sick, I am the one to take them to the clinic and pay their medical bills. Matthew lost her hearing due to meningitis during childhood, but says she has been single-handedly caring for her six children since they were born. Relatives of the father of my kids don't come to visit us. They even don't help me buying school items and uniforms, shoes, sandals, textbooks, and backpacks. They just leave me to do everything for these kids. Echo's grandmother, Joyce Apai, who lives with Echo's family, confirms her daughter looks for manual jobs every morning. She washes people's clothes to feed her children. She irons people's clothes to feed her kids. She works in a restaurant washing dishes to feed her kids. She has nobody to help her. Her husband is around but drinks a lot and beats her. Apai says six years old Echo dreams big, telling his mother he wants to be a priest. She says 
She was not surprised to see the photo of Echo on Facebook with the Pope. When they returned home, I asked them, have you seen Pope? They said yes. But after a few minutes, I started receiving phone calls from people who told me they saw photo of my son handing money to Pope Francis. I started asking Echo, how did you find Pope in the huge crowd of people? He said he cried and his money was in his hand. His mother gave it to him. Pope Francis, during his visit to South Sudan, criticized what he called the stagnant peace process when he met with President Salva Kiir and other South Sudanese leaders. For VOA News, I am Juliana Shapai, reporting from Juba. From Juba, we move to Kenya, where Kenyan security forces have launched an operation to clear bandits from its northern Rift Valley region and recover illegal firearms. Critics have voiced concern that the operation, led by armed back pol- army-backed police, could lead to abuses. Mohammed Yusuf reports from Nairobi. President William Ruto issued the order after three police officers were killed and eight other injured in an ambush in Kainuk, Turkana County. Bandits have attacked communities in the country's northern region for decades, with stolen livestock blamed for most of the conflict. Kenya's police chief, Jafet Kaome, urged communities to stop attacking each other after visiting Turkana County Tuesday. People of this region have no option. They must learn to coexist. This habit of um, one community attacking the other one will not be allowed to continue. We have the capacity and the will. Ahmed Mohammed, the head of the Center for Security and Strategic Studies, says the bandits are interested in stealing animals. We cannot face any formidable force, whether it is police or military. In fact, right now, right now, they're gone. Gone where? They're in towns. Not in the, in, in, in the jungles we are fighting there. No? They've gone. They'll not chase you. You'll see them. You'll be alone there for a while. You'll run around. you look for weapons. You'll force people. You will, uh, 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 you know, do your own. But right now, they're not there. They're, not there. they're in towns back in their uh, normal uh, activities. The government has given the bandits three days to surrender their weapons. Last week, suspected bandits sprayed bullets into a vehicle carrying passengers, killing three people, including a student in Turkana County. Drought, according to Pokot South MP David Kosing, is to blame for the current tensions and conflict between his community and the Turkana tribe. There's no order of grazing or, or, or let's say, drinking water. And therefore, the Pokot can push themselves to the river and maybe this river is on the side in terms of administration of Turkana, and the Turkanas feel that they are being intimidated, or they, th- they think that uh, Pokos are coming to their own land, and vice versa. And that is the reason why there's a lot of conflict, is the competition for grass, which is now very high along that area. The conflict over pastures and water for the animals has heightened tensions in the area and halted other civilian and government activities. Kenya is one of the countries in the region that is currently affected by the drought. Drought has affected 23 counties, including Baringo, Laikipia, Samburu, West Pokot and Turkana. Mohammed says the government will need to provide more resources and development in the affected region to stop animal theft. Those communities have lost a lot of animals. 
a lot of animals. They have they have gone down in terms of numbers, and therefore, when they see others who are doing well, they'll definitely go for them. Definitely. So the drought, climate change, definitely has had an impact. So that's why we are saying also, as part of the future plans, the government must think about development, think about life beyond the livestock and all that. Other means that it will be used to help the people sustain their lives. Kosing fears the security operation may bring more problems for his people than good. Out of 16 divisions, you know, because three are in distress. So sometimes when you, when you, when you unleash operation, then they can actually even make everybody a criminal. Uh, the past has been that it's criminalizing society. And that's my fear. Number two, that there's been incidences of rape in the past. There are incidences of, of hunger, roadblocks. You might remember some few, some few months ago, there were roadblocks in, in, in Tiati, and people almost died. 16 schools were closed in Tiati. The operation will also include the recovery of stolen livestock and patrolling major roads to ensure the free movement of people and goods. Mohamed Yusuf for VA News, Nairobi. From Nairobi, we go to Nigeria, where the Department of State services has warned politicians not to publish false or harmful information in the run-up to next week's presidential election. The warning came after the ruling All Progressive Congress Party's campaign director accused the military and opposition candidates of plotting a coup. Fact-checkers are working overtime to to debunk false news ahead of the February 25th elections. The notice to politicians was contained in a statement Tuesday. The Department of State Services said political parties and their media managers must restrain from spreading misleading information during campaigns and when issuing communiques. The DSS said such information could lead to violent reactions and disrupt peace and order. The warning comes in the wake of the agency's investigation of the campaign director of the ruling All Progressives Congress, APC. Femi Fani Kayode alleged on Twitter that the opposition People's Democratic Party presidential candidate Atiku Abubakar was planning a coup d'etat. The DSS interrogated Fani Kayode Wednesday. VOA could not immediately get comments from the service on the investigation. Paul James, an elections program officer at Yaga Africa, a non-profit organization promoting democracy, says slander among political parties is not new. The DSS is investigating that and have called the person in for questioning. So we hope to see how that will end from the uh, election in 2020 on the election in 2020. We saw things like this. The military had come out to actually deny that, but not just that. They need to begin to do things, the kind of communication that will also inspire confidence. Fanny Coyote will report to the DSS every week until the investigation is over. On Monday, he spoke to journalists in Abuja after being interrogated for five hours and said he regretted posting the tweet without confirmation from authorities. Nigeria is seeing a heightened spread of fake news and disinformation in a push for votes ahead of the elections. The country goes to the polls on February 25th to elect a new president with three candidates as front-runners. A Nigerian fact-checkers coalition made up of 14 newsrooms is working to curb the spread of falsehoods. But the coalition's Kemi Busari says it is more challenging to keep up with the trend of misinformation these days. 
what we notice currently is uh, a proliferation of false information, especially about the election. We also see a lot of false information about the electoral process. We, we get a lot of, like I said, we get a lot more these days, uh, a lot more false information these days. Before, I could say the average copies that come to my desk each day is about uh, two to five. But now we are having nothing less than 10 to 15 copies in a day. And of course, it's not possible for us to fact check everything. Busari says the fact checkers coalition is setting up centers in Lagos and Abuja to monitor the elections and information about the voting in real time. Timothy Obiezu for VOA News, Abuja, Nigeria. And that's all we prepared for you this Thursday. We now leave you in a dancing mood with the song Break Your Back by Awilo Longombo. Listening to Awilo Longombo and the song Break Your Back. I'm your host, John Tanza, on this live broadcast from Studio 14 here in Washington. Don't forget to visit voaafrica.com for all your favorite programs and news updates. If you miss this program, go to www.voaafrica.com forward slash South Sudan. Thanks for taking time to be with us. Remember to join us tomorrow for another edition of South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America.